If you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Romans chapter 1. And we'll uh, continue to take a look at Paul's introduction. Paul's introduction goes all the way, by the way, to verse 15. And as we work our way through it, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of exciting what he's trying, I think, to get across to us. So let me try to put it into words. Um, the psalmist writes, If you delight in the Lord, He will give you the desires of your heart. And I think God's Word lays out for us the idea, the concept that sometimes we miss. See, our relationship with God becomes duty. And and that's not what God is looking for. He wants your heart. That's why He said, one, the one thing God ever asks us for, in Deuteronomy He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The idea... God wants the seed of your emotions because He wants you to enjoy Him. To enjoy, to rejoice in Him. To be able to celebrate and use that as our motivation behind the things we do. I mean, people, for for duty's sake, people come to church. For duty's sake, people read the Bible. For duty's sake, people pray. But God said He wants your heart. And your heart won't do it for duty's sake. Your heart wants to do it as an expression of your love. One of the best ways to describe it, really, is when you you first fall in love with somebody. You cannot help but to read the letters they write you. To spend time talking to other people about them. When I first fell in love with Kathy, everywhere I went, I was telling people about Kathy. The people would say, stop! Talking about Kathy. I want to talk about something else. That's all I wanted to talk about. Because I was in love. Isn't that the way our relationship with Christ ought to flow out of us? Everywhere I go, I just want to talk about Jesus. I want to spend time talking about it. I want to open a word. I want to see what God's got to say. Just like I would get a letter from Kathy when I was in boot camp. And they, they couldn't have held me down. Strapped me back. I wanted the letter. I want to open I want to read it. I didn't just read it once. I read it again and again and again and again for three months. Pour over that letter. Because I was in love. God said, I want you to love me. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said the greatest commandments were those, right? Greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Because that's the expression. When the love of God is expressed in our lives, we can't hold it back. It will be expressed out to the people around us. And so Paul, as he's given this introduction, I want you to see the desire of his heart has been to go to Rome. If you spend any time with us in Acts, if you spend any time with us when we went through Galatians and Ephesians, then you heard Paul over and over again, First and Second Corinthians, you heard Paul say, I can't wait to go to Rome. I really want to go to Rome. My heart is to go to Rome. That was his desire. What did the Word say? If I delight myself in the Lord, He'll do what? Give me the desires of my heart. That doesn't mean he'll give you a new car and a nice motorcycle. That's not what he's talking about. He's going to place in your heart desires that God will fulfill, but whose time frame? 
God's time frame. God's time frame. Paul wanted to go, but... And so he's in Corinth and he's writing this letter to the Romans and he wants to establish for them this love that he has for God. This incredible passion that is in his heart that that wants to be expressed. He can't wait to tell them. So even as he's introducing himself to people who never saw him before, the people in Rome didn't know him, he didn't know them. So he's writing a letter to them and he's trying to express to them the heart, his heart for them. And the desire that he has to be with them. And so he talks first. We talked about already his attitude. His attitude was that of a slave. And then he talked about his authority. That God had called him specifically to to deliver to them Scripture. Scripture. That's what Paul did. 13 books of the New Testament. 14 if you want to argue. But 13 for sure. So he gave 13 books of the New Testament. Scripture, he's writing it out. That's the authority. And then he said, I got an appointment. God wants me to... I got an appointment for Rome. Now, I don't know when I'm going to get there. But I got an appointment. I know it because God's laid it on my heart. I'm coming. I just don't know when. So he lays out who he is. And then he starts to talk about the gospel. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Sammy was with us uh, last week, but a couple of weeks ago he started to talk about the gospel. Look, he says, Concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the resurrection of the dead. So he begins to tell him about the one thing that motivates his entire life. The gospel. Because he just, that in love... You know one of the saddest things I see in happening in relationships? People start to tell themselves a lie that says, we've been married a long time, so, you know, we don't love each other that way anymore. Our love has, has progressed all the way to the point of boredom. You, you never said that before, have you? Well, you didn't put the boredom part. You put whatever word you want. Our, our love has, has transgressed those intense feelings of passion. God forbid. If it is, get fixed. Well, <laughs> that didn't exactly come across like I meant, huh? The funny thing is, my mind went there just a fraction of a second before yours. And I thought, yeah, there's no way to get that back. I'll just let it go. (laughs) You want to fix that. There should be passion in your life. One of the greatest honors, blessings I've ever had in my life uh, was um, when when, uh, Dina, Easter Day's mom, was going to heaven. And to watch Lauren love his wife. 65 years. They were married. 65 years. To watch him love his wife into the arms of Jesus was amazing. No, I, uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. He'd sing to her and, and tell her the poems he used to write to her and just loved her. The passion, 65 years later, was still there. So don't tell me that. And don't be satisfied with that. That's bunk. Neither should there be a lack of passion for Jesus Christ because you've been walking for him with Him for a while. At this time in Paul's life, he's been with the Lord about 30 years. So, and he's still on fire, rocking for, 
for Jesus wanting to tell people about him wherever he goes. The passion is still there. And that's what he wants to express to the Romans. In the beginning of his letter. That's why we haven't got into all the, the nitty gritty stuff that he's going to get to. Because he wants to expound on this incredible love that he has. And it should be catching. You guys ever hang out with a new believer? One that just is just a nutcase? One of those people that just wants to talk to everybody about Jesus? You can't even get into Walmart. You're hoping you don't run into somebody you know because he's going to run over and ask them if they know Jesus. I love being around new believers because it is like it's like standing too close to a fire. You're going to catch. It's vital. And that's a part of our life. Unfortunately for a lot of us, Maybe we're caught in that place where we've been a Christian a long time and we just don't get that excited about anything anymore. But that's not the way God would have us to be. That's not His desire. Let's take a look at what Paul writes to us in Romans chapter 8. He said, or sorry, Romans chapter 1 verse 8. He says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness. Whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. Making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that we can, or so that you can be established. And that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, I have often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among other Gentiles. For I am a debtor, both to Greeks and barbarians, both to wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you for Paul's passionate words, introduction to the book of Romans. God, I pray, Lord, that we would just not fly through it to get to something else, but we'd pause and ponder and postulate over the words, God, that we would allow your word to have its uh, just recourse in our life to, to change us, to transform us, to convey us from the kingdom of darkness, maybe from the kingdom of humdrum, To the kingdom of your light, where there is life and life more abundantly. Lord God, we pray that you be glorified and magnified in this place. Lord Jesus, we want to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here in this section, Paul's going to lay out for us his concern for the gospel. And we're going to see his concern for the gospel in, in two places. In his prayers and in his plans. So we first start off with that. That idea in his prayers, the concern for the gospel, and it begins with this concept of rejoicing. Now, I maybe you didn't see it, so I want you to see it. The the rejoicing in the first couple of words it says, First I thank you guys see that? First I thank that word I thank I thank. That word thank in the Greek, that word thank is a word not only that means to be thankful, but to rejoice in thankfulness. 
To rejoice in thankfulness that you're, you're so stoked about something that it just comes flowing through in thanksgiving. And so, as he begins, it's really, it's really beginning like, I rejoice in thankfulness. Uh, he's rejoicing for, for some very specific things. And they're the next couple of phrases. Look at it. I'm rejoicing in thankfulness, one, for my God. For my God. Personal. Not for your God, somebody else's God, that God way out there, that God in space that we can't understand. He says, no, I think my God, my personal God. It's a personal relationship. It's not something else. It's something that's tangible that we can experience in our lives. And so Paul clings to that idea. He's my God, but not only the personal God, but he also goes on to speak about what he has through Jesus Christ, which is access To the Father. What's he say? Next phrase. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. How do we come to God? Jesus said, I am the, 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 no man comes to the Father except by me. How do we have access to the Father? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. Only way. No way to the Father except by Him. So he's rejoicing in thanksgiving for my God through Jesus Christ for you all. He's got a personal relationship with the Lord. He has an understanding of the access that we have through Jesus Christ into the throne room. And then he celebrates that, brings it all together for you all. For all the people in Rome he had never met. He did not know them. Look, before last Sunday... I didn't know Sammy Tanago. Last Sunday, I got to meet him. I got to see the passion that he had in his life and his desire to reach a people that I, to be quite honest, didn't really care all that much about. So he's, his passion ignites something in me. Now I have this desire to see how it is. What can we do to reach this people group, this group of folks here in, in our area that, that as far as I know, not that many people are trying to reach out to at all. He rejoiced in his relationship with Christ, the access that that relationship through Jesus gave him to the Father and for all the people in Rome. We, in the same way, we want to have that joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Well, where does it come from? comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, understanding the access that we have through Him to the Father, and rejoicing in the brethren and the sisterin, in all of us. What is it that He rejoiced in? Look, it says, He rejoiced that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And for the, the word for world, He used eons, like it's a it's an obvious hyperbole. It means it means that man their faith is strong in a place where it's hard to have strong faith. So he's rejoicing, he's thankful, he's expressing this relationship in that joy. The chief goal of man is to know God and enjoy him forever. And if we're not enjoying him, it's not going to be expressed out of our life, through joy and rejoicing. It just gets bottled up. Becomes something like a debtor's ethic. And you do something because you owe. Well, I owe God something for what He done for me, so I'm going to go to church. I owe God something for what He done for me, so I'm going to read the Bible. I owe God something. 
But what is it that God's looking for? An expression of emotion from the seed of emotion. He said, I want your heart. How much of the heart does he want? All of it. Undivided heart. Look, the problem in the reality of our life is not that we have too much or too many desires. The problem is we settle for too small a thing. We're satisfied with little things. And we're not being satisfied with the greatest thing of all. Lord God Almighty. This is how Moses said it. Moses said, I would rather suffer affliction with my people than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Same thing. He, was, he refused to be satisfied with them little things. Not those little joys are bad. God gave us a wonder, didn't He? Does anybody, am I the only one who has a wonder? Does anybody else in here ever want anything? No? No? You don't want to admit it in church? Is that a bad place to talk about your wonder? Why did God give you a wonder? Because it's a drive that is part of who we are. It's our job to direct it. To direct your wanter. My wanter wants money. My wanter wants power. My wanter wants wine, women, and song. Whatever your wanter is geared towards. Your job. To take your wanter and direct it toward the Lord. And then, in enjoying Him. In finding out about Him. In learning who He is. And what He's done. To have a relationship that continually is getting deeper. More loving. More passionate. That's what Paul's doing. Everywhere he went, everywhere he goes, he's delivering his impassioned plea. Man, every, every word, every phrase, everything he talks about, even when he talks about his request. Look, in verse 9 he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Making request, if by some means now at last I can find a way in the will of God to come to you. He's laying out his request like, like a prayer. But there's something we see in each one of these requests. I think they're based in four things. And the first one I see right at the beginning. God is my witness. It's sincerity. Uh, it's saying, he's saying, I, I'm telling you the truth. I'm speaking truthfully. Look, when we make requests of God or we come before God or we want to lay out, you know... The, the designs or the prayers of our life. we got to come to God with sincerity. God is my witness. I'm telling the truth. To, to tell the truth, you got to know the truth. you got to know the truth about yourself, even as you know the truth of others. There's got to be honesty in the throne room. You, you can't lie to God. Well, you can, but He knows. It's kind of pointless, Right? So come into the throne room with with honesty. God is my witness. For God is my witness. What's the next part? Whom I serve. That word is not diakonos, which is the word from which we get the word deacon, which means just to serve, like, like straightening up chairs or changing lights or doing a variety of things, cleaning around the church. That would be the word diakonos. This is the word letreu. Letreu is a word that speaks of worship. It's religious service. You may be familiar with this verse. For I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable 
Some Bibles say service. What do other Bibles say? Act of worship. Why? Why do they say two different things? Because that's what the word means. The word means to serve in worship. It's a, it's a word used of the work that the priests would do. Now when we talk about it, I feel like that sometimes too. When we talk about, when we talk about the, the attitude of worship, what is it that we know from John chapter 4? What is it that, that Jesus said that, 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 that God wants, that God desires? What's He looking for? He says He's looking for worshipers, isn't it? Doesn't the Word say that? He's looking for worshipers who worship Him how? In spirit and in truth, right? In spirit and in truth. So when we talk about this attitude of worship that permeates our life as we come in an attitude of sincerity before God, this attitude of worship, we can, can we fake that? Oh yeah, listen, there's a couple things we got to go to right off the bat. That attitude of worship's got to be internal, not external. You guys have heard me talk about the scary verses in the Bible, right? You, you know, you need to read more often if you don't know the scary verses in the Bible. There are verses in the Bible that will challenge you to your core. One of those is Jesus saying that if you don't forgive from your heart, neither will your Father forgive you. What are you going to do with that? That is in the column of scary verses. Why? It means I can't fake it. I can't pretend. I, can't, I gotta forgive where? From my heart, which is the seed of what? Emotion, right? That's where all my emotion is. How many times, anybody who's struggled with forgiveness, we've all said the same thing. I don't what? Feel like forgiving. But Jesus said, well, you better figure out how to feel like forgiven if you want to be forgiven. In the same way, this is an attitude internal. Internal. Forgiveness is internal. Obedience is internal, not external. I can fake you all out externally, can I? I could, uh, I could, I could, I could, well, there's lots of ways I could do it, I suppose. When I first came here, I looked like a biker. I didn't, but you should have seen it. I had 21 inch ape hangers. Skulls all over that bike. My Harley had more skulls on it than, than you got paper clips in your desk drawer at work. Unless you don't have a desk drawer at work. Had a lot. On the back it had a carbon, carbon's not the word. Copper, that's the word. Copper inscription of Golgotha as the place of the skull. And I loved that bike. I rode that bike everywhere. Huh, babe? I rode it straight to the bottom of a meat truck. I was, like Paul would say, I have found a way to, to bridge graps. At a, bridge graps. What is that? <laughs> Lord, have mercy on my soul. Bridge gaps in a variety of different groups. I just got to slow down. I could look like a biker. I could look like a hunter. I could look like anything. But what am I really in the core? I can look at you and you express the you you want expressed. Do we agree? In how you look and how you dress and how you talk. You express the you you want us to see. But the real you lives where? Inside. You can make the outside of you look like anything. 
Worship's got to be internal, not external. It's not merely a lifting of the hands and the singing of the songs. It's inside your heart when you love God. You want to serve, you want to worship, you want to do whatever you, you can for Him. In fact, the Word declares it to us. In Ephesians 6, He says, Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. From the heart. Man, I've got I to gotta worship. Then it's, it's, it's heartfelt. It's spiritual, not carnal. For God is spirit. And He's looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Right? It's spiritual. It's also salvational, not social. It has an attitude or a look toward salvation. The goal is salvation. I said last service, we can, we can go put all the, 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 the water uh, wells you can imagine among people who don't have any water, and we can provide them with a lot of water to drink. But if they're going to hell, they'll be the least thirsty people in hell. What good is that? I'm not saying that we shouldn't give them wells. Absolutely we should give them wells. Should we feed them? Absolutely we should feed them. But our view should be towards salvation. Not just social. It's easy to do the social part. It's easy. It's easy. You say, oh, I just love, I love people, so I'm going to go do things for people, and that's good, and that's great. But if you're not telling them about Jesus, if you're not sharing the gospel with them as you're helping them, it's not worship. If you are, it is. It is. Those who are worshiping in spirit and in truth. Paul says in this verse, God's my witness. This is the reality of who I am. I am being sincere. For with my spirit, I serve in the gospel of His Son. Do you hear it? He's worshiping and he's making it about the gospel. Then what's he do next? Not only sincerity, not only the way that he worships or serves, but then he says, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. It's continual. Or no break. There's no break. Man, we get it backwards today. We think somehow that the love that God has, has given or equipped us with, somewhere along the line, there, it stops. It ceases. It goes away. It's tempered. God forbid. It shouldn't be in marriage. It shouldn't be with Him. The perfect relationship on earth that God uses to describe yours and my relationship with Him is marriage. That's why the devil attacks it so hard. Because if he can make marriage here look like a just boring, dumb, lame relationship, then that's how you think of your relationship with God when He says that you are my bride. But that's not how it's meant to be. That's not how it's meant to be. It's meant to be vibrant and passionate and alive. He says, I pray without ceasing. It's continual. When should we stop asking God for something? If we're struggling with love, with love flowing out of our lives or coming into our lives, when should we stop asking? If we're looking for a brother who's sick, just, uh, just this uh, uh, past uh, uh, week we lost... A dear brother, we lost, uh, we didn't lose him, we know where he's at, 
Larry uh, Fredrickson's with Jesus. He went home. Mary's still here among us. She just recently had surgery. Kind of crazy. We want to make sure we keep the family in prayer. But the point is, God took a brother home who finished his race, who lived his life in a a lot of ways with abandon, Made everything he did was about God. Whether he was racing or whatever he was doing. He, the gospel was in it all. Wherever he went, whatever he's about, whatever he had going on. And when he was sick, we prayed for him to be healed. Until God took him home. Every time I went over there. Lay hands on him, pray for him. Why? Why should I not pray for him to be healed? Paul says, I pray for you all without ceasing. What are we afraid of? That God might answer? Or that He's not going to? God doesn't need me to defend Him. The booby prize of life is not to have to go to heaven, folks. Going to heaven is the ultimate prize, the ultimate goal. So Paul says, I pray without ceasing. It's continual, continually looking unto God. And finally, we see at the end of that verse, his submission to God. His submission to God is seen in this. Making request, if by some means, now at last, I might find a way in the will of God to come to you. He says, look, everywhere you look in Paul's epistles, you hear over and over again, I want to come to Rome, want to come to Rome, want to come to Rome. I'd like to come to Rome. Sometimes you hear, I'd like to come see you in, in Philippi. Oh, I wish I could go to Galatia. He's got all these plans of where he'd like to go because he wants to do God's work in those areas, but he's willing to wait for God's perfect timing. The desire's in his heart, but he waits for God to work it out. That's submission to God. To let God do the God thing. To let God decide on the timing. To let God decide when it should be. But then he tells us further, why? What is the purpose? Why do you want to go? Look what he says in in verse 11 and 12. For I long to see you. Man, sounds passionate, doesn't it? I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established, that is, that you may be encouraged together with, uh, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of me and you. What's he saying? The, The passionate language, I long to see you, why? To impart some spiritual gift. By the way, only place in the Bible those two words are together. Spiritual gift. Only place. Pneumaticon charisma. Only only place. Paul says, I want to impart. I want to use the gifting, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and the gifts that He's given me to come to you to bless the body. The body in Rome did not exist so that Paul could be blessed. The body in Rome existed so that Paul could go and bless them. And in that impartation, or in that pouring out of the spiritual gift that He wants to give, that He wants to give unto them, what's that? He he wants to pour that out so that He can strengthen them. That's what it says, right? That you may be established. It's the word in the Greek from which we get the word steroid. He wants to strengthen them, make them stronger by the impartation, by the pouring out of the gifts that God's given Him. 
That they would grow and learn thereby. And thirdly, that is that I may be encouraged together with you. So that there could be mutual encouragement. So he says, I want to go to impart this gift so that you'll be strengthened and all of us together can be encouraged in the faith. That's why he wants to be there. That's why he wants to go. That's the driving force in Paul's life. And we see that evident in his plans. Because he goes on to tell us in verse 13, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you. He often planned. It's not like, well, I just made a decision. I think I was going to... No, I often planned to come to you, but was hindered to now. That I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. For I am a debtor, both to Greeks and barbarians, wise and unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Man, that's his plans. The plans that he has and the purpose behind the plans all laid out for us. What we got to do is take a look. The first thing that jumps off, I often plan to come to you. Paul was continually wanting to go. He had a strong desire to go. I long to see you, he said in verse 11. So he's got a strong desire. But it's not always fulfilled in our timing. Many times it's fulfilled in God's timing. He tried all the time. I often plan to come to you. That means he tried more than once. In fact, he tried continually over and over again to be able to come. But it's not always God's timing. He was hindered. What, how, what hindered him? Well, hold your finger right there. You're already in Romans. Turn to the right. Like 10 pages, let's say. <coughs> Come to Romans chapter 15. I'd be less than 10 pages. In Romans chapter 15, look what he says. Romans chapter 15, verse 20. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel. Not where Christ is named, lest I should build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see. And those who have not heard shall understand. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you. What hindered him? The gospel. Well, how did the gospel hinder him? Well, there's other people that needed to be saved. And so Paul would say, man, Lord, I got this desire to go to Rome in my heart. And God would say, oh, before you go to Rome, I need you to stop by Galatia. So he'd go over to the region of Galatia and from church to church to church. And people are getting saved and God's moving. But then he'd say, man, I got this desire to go to Rome. And God say, no, Paul, not yet. I need you to go over to Ephesus. And so he'd go to Ephesus and he'd share the gospel. And people would get saved. And then he'd say, Lord, I really got this desire to go to Rome. But God say, oh, not yet. I need you to go to Corinth. And then he'd go over to Corinth. You get the idea. The gospel, the, the willingness to tell wherever he could tell about his love for God and what God had done for him, compelled him to go and to, to meet a greater need than the need to be in Rome. And that is the need for folks to get saved. And that hindered him from being able to come. We also know that sickness hindered him. The Bible tells us so much in First Corinthians, or Second Corinthians, chapter one, and Philippians, chapter two. Sickness held him, stopped him from being able to go forward. In in Second or in First Thessalonians, chapter two, we know that Satan hindered him from being able to go. Do we have a real enemy? Do you guys know that every time something stops us from moving forward, it's not always the devil. 
Sometimes it's uh, God. Wow. But sometimes it's the devil. The devil hinders. The gospel can hinder. Sickness can hinder. The Holy Spirit can also hinder. In Acts 16. In Acts 16, that's to the left of Romans. It says, Now, when they had gone through Phrygia in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After that, they came to Mysia, and they had gone. They tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. What was hindering them? The Holy Spirit. He closed doors. Look, being submitted to God means we go where God's directing us. That burden He places on our heart, we're going to go. We try to. To make it work, we're not afraid to plan, we're not afraid to work continuously, we're, we're, we're willing to offer up our, our act of reasonable worship unto God as we present ourselves as living sacrifices unto Him. But God's going to open the door when it's time for the door to be open. Can Satan stop me from getting somewhere forever? No. The longest recorded period of time of being able to, Satan being able to stop anybody of God is when Daniel prayed. When he was fasting, you know how long? 21 days. And as he prayed, Michael the archangel had to come and release Gabriel so he could deliver the message that God had sent. 21 days is the longest time. Does it mean it couldn't be longer? No, sure. It could be. God's God. He's in charge, not me. But the idea is Satan cannot stop anything forever. He may hinder But God ultimately will deliver, and He will deliver at His time, at His perfect time. So the question is, here we see Paul's desire to go. It's often planned. He was hindered. These things hindered him. But he said, why? Why does he want to go? Why is his desire to be there? He says in the very next part of the verse, he said, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. He wants to have fruitfulness. In the Bible, there's three things that talk about fruitful or, or fruit. The Holy Spirit is fruit. Holiness is spoken of as fruit. And new believers, converts, people who put their faith in Christ are talked about as fruit. I think it's the latter. I think that's the group that he's talking about. In fact, every time that Paul describes somebody or says, hey, say hello to somebody in one of his letters, he'll name them and then he'll call them a first fruit. Oh, he was my first fruit of a K.I. Oh, he was my first fruit in Galatia. What's he talking about? He was the first guy that got saved in that area. And so Paul had a fondness for those people. That was his fruit. So he wants to get to Rome. It's all about salvation. It's all about people coming to know Jesus. It's all about that. So this is his desire. But then he tells us there in verse 14, he says, It's also my responsibility. He says, I'm a debtor to Greeks and barbarians, to wise and unwise. Very poetic Greek for a simple concept. The gospel needs to go to everybody. To the Jew, the world was divided into two groups, Jew and Gentile. To the Greek, it was divided into two groups, Greek and barbarian. Anybody who spoke Greek was considered Greek. That was a word for civilized. Anybody who didn't speak Greek was considered a moron. They called them barbarians. You have barbarians and you had cultured. You have the wise and the unwise, the educated and the uneducated. 
between those four descriptive terms, you have everything wrapped up in that. Paul says, I'm a debtor to them all. I have a responsibility to them all, to every man, to every woman, to every person who walks on the face of the earth, to be willing to express to them the love that God has poured out in my life. Do you know that you will always praise what you love? Today's a perfect day. I know what Barry loves in the back of the church. Or at least one of the things. Not the only thing Barry loves. I know what Barry loves. He loves Denver Broncos. How do I know he loves the Denver Broncos? He's wearing a Denver Broncos shirt. And he wears a Denver Broncos shirt every time they play. The only time he wears a San Diego Chargers shirt is if the San Diego Chargers beat the Denver Broncos. That's because of a deal he's got with another guy in church who loves the San Diego Chargers. Go figure, huh? What you love, you can't help but extol. If you love Jesus, you cannot stop. You cannot stop talking about Him, letting people know about Him, letting them know who He is and what He's about. You can't stop. It's just got to come out. What you love, you praise. Whether it's a car, or a job, or a sports team, or a movie, or a book. Paul said, I'm a debtor. I owe these people who are going to hell. I owe to tell them the truth. Who Jesus is. What He's done for me. I owe them a debt. And that debt is to not remain silent. The world would love to tell you that the, be- the best way to pay that debt is just be quiet. And let everybody figure it out for themselves. Really? Is that what we- That's the best way to do it. Is it the best way? Is that what every parent does for their children? Because that's, that's some of what they describe. I know. The best way to raise a child is just let the child decide whatever he or she wants to do. Just let them do whatever they want. And when they're done doing whatever they want, they will have figured out through uh, experience what was the best way. Does that seem like a, a smart way to raise children? Yeah, the kids are going like this and the parents are going like this. <laughs> Man. We... Have a responsibility to our children. The Bible says if you love your child, you will scourge them. (sighs) What's that? Oh, that's a big time whooping. A scourging is a big whooping. Oh, how can a big whooping be loving? If it corrects something that would cost them their life, it's loving. You get it? If it if it changes your Direction is loving. If it's given just to solve my own frustration, it's worthless. Whom you love, you correct. The Father, the Lord says, I will chastise and scourge every son I love. That's God's love poured out on us. I'm a debtor. I have a responsibility to share Jesus Christ with everyone. So then in verse uh, 15 he says, So as much as is in me, as much as depends on me, as much as I am able, I am ready to preach the gospel. Well, the question for us is, can you echo that verse? I'm ready. If you are, get cracking. Lots of opportunity every day. You wouldn't believe how many people I see in a day. 
And if you talk to them about your favorite thing, and if your favorite thing, the thing you most enjoy in life, is the Lord, that passion's going to come through. It doesn't matter what you know or don't know. I don't have to go to a special school of evangelism to tell people or extol the qualities of my wife. I don't need a special school for that. I know the qualities of my wife because I live with her and I love her. So it's easy. Do you get what I'm saying? So I am ready to preach. Now, next week he's going to say these words. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed. That word ashamed carries the idea of disappointment. Here's the reality. Some people are disappointed with the gospel. They thought it was going to be something else. Maybe they thought they would experience more power or more peace or more of something. And the reality is, if that's you and if that's where you're at, I want you to hear this. If you're not experiencing the power and the love and the expression of God in your life, through your life and around your life, then you're right, something's wrong. And it's not God. God didn't forget how to do that. God didn't forget how to express His love through the Holy Spirit in your life. Romans 5.1 God didn't forget how to express into your life the power and the peace. Jesus said, My peace I give, not as the world gives, give I unto you. The peace that I give, what, what's He saying? It's, it's not an Indian give. He gives, and you have it. If we're struggling in it, if we're, not, if we're not enjoying the blessings of God, if we're not enjoying the peace of God, and that doesn't mean our life doesn't have suffering and we're not going through persecution and there's not problems. not what I'm saying. That you can have peace and joy and love through all of that. Because Jesus said, I came to give you life. And that life more abundantly. That is the real experience Perhaps the struggle is, I'm under the debtor's ethic and I'm trying to owe God for what He's done for me instead of love God for what He's done for me. Perhaps the problem is I'm caught in a tradition or I'm caught in a deal instead of it being an emotion, an expression of love. You can't fake that stuff. And if that's a struggle for us, or the, the, the answer isn't, oh, I've got to quit then. I, I, I didn't do it right. There's no, you can't do it wrong. You simply go to the Lord with your struggle. And you're sincere. You don't try to fake Him. And you offer up that real worship, that spiritual worship. And in the midst of that spiritual worship and that sincerity, you pray without ceasing. Listen to what God says. I will not withhold from you any good thing. You know that's in the Bible? I will not withhold from you any good thing. But I want to be saved. And I want to experience that the emotion and the passion. And I want all that. Is that good? Is salvation good? Is having a relationship with Christ good? A real, vibrant, passionate relationship with Christ good? It's good. Will He withhold that? No. So when we struggle, 
we go to Him first. Second, you got to look where you're living. Well, I live in Buell. Well, that's not a problem. I live in Buell too. That's not it. Well, that's what I mean. Are you living in rebellion against God? Are you living in a, a, a something that God has revealed to you? This is sinful. This is bad. This is not where I want you to be. This is not what I want you to be about. If that's where you are, then the blessings of God are stopped up. And all we have to do to see Him poured out is to repent. Forgive me. Get right. It don't got to be hard. The chief goal of man is to know God, to love God, and enjoy Him forever. That should be our experience. It was Paul's. And that's what he's expressing to us in the Word.